Hello, and welcome back to One Conversation, the podcast where we believe one conversation can change a life. If you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment to hit the follow button. Also, give us a rating. We'd love to hear from you. Enjoy today's episode. Hello, wonderful listeners. My name's Lisa, and I'm here with my lovely co-host, Brianna. And we also have such an incredible guest today. Uh, She's going to be sharing a little bit of her survivor story. We're also going to be chatting about the importance of prevention work. So that being said, there may be some topics that come up today that could possibly be triggering for some. So we just want to encourage you, please take care of yourself however you need to during this episode. We're going to have a ton of resources listed below, including our Live Violence Free Crisis line if you're in the Tahoe area, uh, and international and national resources as well if you need support. So please utilize those if necessary. But let's go ahead and introduce our guest today, Bonnie Welsh. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm super excited to uh, be here and be able to share my story and hopefully uh, some listeners will gain some important knowledge and resources that they need. Absolutely. We're so happy that you're here, Bonnie. So I actually met Bonnie when we were in a survivor listening session mm-hmm. um, with the California Partnership to End Domestic Violence. And I think there was just a few topics that we wanted to talk more about. <laughs> so I think we exchanged contact information or like, uh, yeah. We both have so much passion. We got to fuel this mm-hmm. together to make it bigger. So here we are making it bigger. I love that. Yes. Yes. Super excited. It was it was really awesome to, you know, not only meet you and the other women through that, um, the survivors listening experience, but uh, to be able to just, you know, talk with you more and just, it's really empowering to meet other people who just have that passion. So definitely yeah. grateful for that. Yeah, and I'm so excited for our listeners to hear from you today. But before we get to the serious content, we have some fun questions to just get our conversation going. All right, so here's the first question. (laughs) Bonnie, if you could have any superpower, what would it be and why? This question... Um, (laughs) does it depend on the day? Can you know my mood? Um, (laughs) geez, you know what? Maybe cliche, but I would maybe try being invisible. Mm. You know, just, just for a little bit here and there. Yeah. Interesting. I think I would try to be invisible, be able to, uh, you know, I, I think, giving yourself a different perspective would allow you in different areas and do different things, you know, just a different uh, experience altogether. So you could get out there and reach some people and help some people and, you know, they don't even know it. I love the very nice way that you went into that thought process. Cause as soon as you said <laughs> invisible, I was like, Ooh, it'd be fun to like play tricks on people. You know? <laughs> and you went like the polar opposite. You're like, that would be very helpful. I would reach out and like, I mean, don't get me wrong. I would definitely be playing some tricks. I would have to. That would be. That's like an underlying. Like, if you're going to be invisible, you have to play tricks. So right. at least one yeah. or two. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, maybe <laughs> a few more. But yeah. <laughs> oh, but I just loved the beautiful intention path you took with that before I took it off the rails a little bit. Oh, okay. um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> 
Oh, there's so many of our guests that we ask them these fun questions and they relate it to the content they're here to talk about anyway. Mm-hmm. And you just did that also. So oh, <laughs> it just so shows awesome. the passion. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. That happens, I think, time and time again. We're always like really? pleasantly surprised. Yeah. It always seems to come back in some way Aww. and disconnect and mm-hmm. love that. So our second fun question for you, and this is something we ask for every single guest on the show. If you could have lunch with anybody, like throughout all of time, fictional or non-fictional, oh my gosh. who would it be and why? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, and this is why we don't ask you beforehand or send you <laughs> Because I have no idea. You know, honestly, if, if I could just be honest, the first person when you asked me, um, it's not anyone that anyone would know. But when you said that, the person that came to mind for me was actually my grandmother. Um, Very, very influential, um, you know, prior to my experiences for the foundation of what I would say the woman that I've been, you know, core Mm. core strengths and things like that. Um, You know, so just to have another conversation and get some wisdom and knowledge, you know, from that would be perfect. That'd be, that'd be it. I love that grandmother relationship so much. I mean, I'm really close with my grandmother and I'm so thankful to have that. And then with my daughter, I really make sure that she has special relationships, you know, with like my husband's mom, especially she has just, I mean, she'd rather her than me some days and I love it. Absolutely. We've become chop liver. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We're chop liver some days. But yeah, it's so, it's so important. I think because, you know, the grandmothers, they have that wisdom, they have that knowledge and they're, they, you know, give the, give children your, you know, mine gave me, it's a different type of love and it's a, Mm -hmm. you know. I think we, we learn a lot from them that we don't even realize until we're older and we're like, oh, I remember when grandma or grandpa, or, you know, and then you're like, wow. yeah, you know, so super important. Yeah. Love that answer. And, you know, we, we've had a lot of people too, you know, I think they expect or think we're looking for like some famous person yeah. or like Tupac or Oprah. Like, <laughs> I mean, hey, no. I, w- I would love to. <laughs> <laughs> so give me wrong. But they've said some good things. You know, they've said some good things. <laughs> but yeah, no, love those. Love those personal answers. Thank you yeah. so much. Of course. All right. So that's going to be the end of our fun questions. Now we'll move on to getting to the real meat of the content of what we're here to talk about today. So just to start us off, if you're comfortable with it, Bonnie, if you could just share with us as much of your personal story as you're comfortable sharing here in this space. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's a lot to cover in topics like this. Um, But my story, it began when I was younger. But what was significant for me that led me to, um, you know, a life path change, I guess you could say. So about four years ago, um, I had an experience that, um, you know, was life changing. Um, I was in an abusive relationship uh, for about three years that... um, there was all forms. Um, something a lot of people don't, I feel don't recognize is that there are different forms of abuse. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, there's intimate partner, there's, you know, psychological, mental, financial, you know, there's a lot of different things. Um, and a lot of those things I was experiencing, I ended up, I'm one of the women that <laughs> I ended up, uh, being arrested and was incarcerated, um, after an abusive incident with my ex-husband and as a result of that incident, I was actually arrested and taken to jail. Um, even though I was fleeing from the incident, uh, I was still perpetrated as the, as the abuser. But what that experience did for me, um, I spent time in county jail until I was able to be released. But while I was in there, you know, I met women and talked with women and had women share stories with me. And, you know, for me, when I went in there, it was traumatic because I was, you know, I'm, I'm the victim. And why am I here? What, you know, this isn't right. Um, how did this happen? How did it get to this point? Yeah. You know, and so I, I, I really started to like, bring myself down, I guess you could say. But then I realized I was like, wait a second, wait a second. If I'm going through this and I've been here, what am I here for? You know, there, there has to be a reason. Um, I truly believe that we experience a lot of things sometimes due to our own fault, but a lot of things are, there's a higher purpose behind them. And, um, so I kind of just changed my, my mindset and was like, what am I here for? So in talking with these women, you know, some of them were younger than me, you know, early 20s up until, um, you know, one that was a grandmother's age. And the one thing that I left with was all of these women had something in common. Mm -hmm. They all had experienced some form of abuse. And what I took away from their stories was, you know, they experienced abuse from their partners. They experienced abuse. Um, they experienced coercion from their partners. They experienced, you know, all these things that led them to situations, whether at fault of their own or control of their own or, you know, whatever the, whatever the circumstances around that were, led them to a situation that they became incarcerated. You know, so I really felt a connection with these women. It just really, it just really had a significant impact. Um, you know, so since then, um, well, getting my, getting my life and everything back to track after that experience and everything, because of my experience and where it was located, when I, um, when I was released, I went and lived in another county. Um, so I had issues with, uh, support between the counties because, you know, I'm living in one, mm -hmm. um, cases in another, you know, so I didn't really have support. I had, you know, I had family support, I had friends, but I didn't have the, um, resources weren't available to me because I couldn't get help here because it was there, you know, or vice versa. So it kind of became for me the first thing I realized after getting home was, uh, you know, that we have to make a connection between all of these, these resources and, and stuff like that. So what I started doing is 
my goal was to, okay, I need these resources. Someone else needs them as well. So my goal was to just <laughs> really just collect and collect information and just, you know, what does this facility do? What did they offer? What is, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so it just really fueled and it's just kept growing and growing. You know, the vision for what I would personally, you know, hope to do um, and to help people and just there's such a need for so much that it, it just keeps growing. And, you know, I'm so grateful yeah. to ladies like yourselves for having me and allowing me, you know, to share, to share what I have to say. Um, because we've all experienced things where, and if you have, or I have someone else has, and you know, it, it doesn't matter if it's one person or 1 million, you know, it matters you know, these, these things really take a toll on people's lives. Um, and they affect us subconsciously in so many ways, you know, throughout our life, you know, if we experience it as, you know, a child, you know, into adulthood, or even as a child, and then having healthy relationships, you know, in throughout your adulthood, there's still, um, you know, underlying things. So thank you for, <laughs> thank you for letting me share that. No, like, Thank you um, for, you know, being vulnerable, trusting us, trusting our audience, um, you know, just to speak on that. It, I mean, it's obviously was not an easy thing to go through. Um, so we just really appreciate the fact that, you know, again, you, you trust us, you trust the audience to just have shared that with us. Um, and I just want to say, like, what a wonderful person you are when all of that is happening and you yourself are seeking resources and realizing all of these roadblocks and all of these hurdles and to hear like what came to your mind was like other people need this too like your mind went from <laughs> you know your your need for that but yeah. immediately connecting that to this is something that's missing for a lot of people and i yeah. need to do something about it i just think that's incredibly commendable um in <laughs> every you. way shape and form so i just want to kudos to you on that. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, just an incredible, incredible story. Um, Thank you. So I want to um, kind of follow up a little bit. I think what we just discussed and what you just shared is probably going to put a lot of key elements into the answer of the question I'm about to ask. But I want to know from you personally, what fuels that passion for abuse prevention? Oh, so much. <laughs> You know, um, a, a lot of it comes, it, it started with my personal experiences. Um, you know, I've recognized uh, through through my experiences and through listening to others that abuse isn't something that's oftentimes wanted to be discussed. It's kind of a taboo. It's like if we don't talk mm -hmm. about it, it's not there. My passion for ab abuse prevention comes from not only my personal experience, but like I said, recognizing that, that it starts, you know, in childhood, simply put the thing that fuels my passion the most after my experiences is knowing that the women that I met in jail, the women that I've talked to who've been to prison, who are on the street, you know, people that I've worked with just in general conversation, whatever it is, um, you know, and I, and I will never disregard that men go through men, women and everything. Um, but for this specifically, I'm, you know, touching on women. Women are the ones, they 
are generally <laughs> responsible for raising our children. Mm-hmm. They're the ones giving birth. The grandmothers, as we spoke about earlier, they're the ones who, when mom or dad have to go off to work, grandmother's a huge influence. Mm-hmm. These, no matter who it is, these are the people who are raising our babies. These are the people who are raising our next generation. So if we don't put into them, if we don't help them recognize, understand, know how to get help, just if we don't teach them, just as we teach everything else, it's just going to perpetuate. It's just going to be a perpetual cycle. Um, you know, and as I mentioned, these women who are ending up incarcerated due to abuse, whether it was due to the abuse or, you know, um, example, being in an abusive relationship, trying to get out of it, not having food, clothes or anything. And they go to jail for a nonviolent petty theft or something. You know what I mean? Um, if all of these mothers and grandmothers are in, in jail, who's taking care of the babies? Who's teaching them? I think that the focus and my passion just comes from the next generation that has to be raised. Yeah, in, in, a, in a nutshell, it's, it's about the next generation. That's where my passion comes from. And it's, it's not only about that, but it's about those who've been abused, helping them change their their mindset and helping them heal so that they can go out and the whole stop the cycle you know the idea of stopping the cycle I mean it's it seems it's a cliche thing to say but um you know if we can if we can reach the children and help them understand signs symptoms um you know and I think I, I think overall you know children who are in who experience abuse even through high school and stuff like that, they're not able to focus on those things that matter most when you're a child. And then as an adult, yeah. as an adult, they're, they're dealing with so much trauma that they're not able to focus on, um, you know, simple things like some people who get out of college, get out of high school, they go to college and they have their whole life planned out. And a lot of, you know, um, I know for myself and for our, you know, other, people that I've talked to it's we we spend our our 20s you know trying to uh recover and and you know figure out who we are and stuff like that instead of doing what everybody what you know quote everybody else does um right you know and so it's not that we can't appreciate our experiences but it's not conducive to just a healthy happy life you know, it, it's almost detri- it's very detrimental, you know, to have to be able to focus on, you know, if I'm in, if I'm in school and I'm worried about going home, well, I'm not going to go home because, you know, I, I'm going to, you know, something could happen while I'm there, but I have homework, you know, so it's just this trickle effect that starts from a young age and just, you know, I think if we can reach them, then we can help everybody, <laughs> you know. I know that's something that we initially had talked about was the education for the younger grades and that uh, we just need to start it earlier and earlier because we're seeing, Mm. I mean, not even just teen dating violence, but kids experiencing abuse in the home, you know, they need to learn that that's not normal and learn what resources there are. And so much of what you said touches on how schools really need to be prepared 
for kids who are experiencing trauma. Yes. You know, that they're not falling asleep in class because they're wanting to defy their teacher. They might not be getting restful sleep at home. Yeah. So let's look into what we can do to help them instead of sending them to in-school suspension or suspension for falling asleep in class. Like that's those things just blow my mind that people still think that way, but it's like, okay, we have more people to educate, <laughs> yeah. more people to mm-hmm. teach about this. And I think that's that's the thing that I recognize is that there's so much information out there and you think that it's everybody should know, but they don't, you know, it's, mm-hmm. we can Google and hey Siri, do all this. But, um, you know, even for me, it was so, it was difficult. Like it, it, if I could just have a phone book of, you know, every resource, you know, that kind of thing. I'm like, wouldn't that be heaven? But we don't have that. Reaching, reaching them, I really enjoyed the conversation that we were able to have, um, you know, about reaching the kids and, and talking with them in schools and stuff. And, and it's a really, I think it's a touchy subject. Um, we can teach so many other things in school and to speak freely. We have sex education and all other types of education in school. So right. the, the fact that we can't implement some type of education on, um, you know, the different types of abuse and what you can do and, and you know, and things like that, um, it just seems to me that there's no excuse that we can't or that it couldn't, mm-hmm. you know, in a, in a perfect world, we could dream big and put it into the curriculum along with everything else, right. you know, mm-hmm. um, which would be an ideal world. Um, but you know, there's just no reason that, you know, and, and it's very sensitive and it's something that, you know, we, we talked about that, Brie, about, you know, parents and how they feel and things like that. And there's ways around it. There's, there's ways around, you know, um, if people aren't comfortable with things and stuff like that, you know, but, um, if we can start teaching them those things, then we can definitely start teaching them. I mean, we, we teach them to look both ways before they cross the street. That's safety, right? Yeah. That's, that's not putting yourself in danger. So why can't we teach them the signs, symptoms, signals of abuse to protect themselves too? And I think you're absolutely hit the nail on the head when you, you know, said it's, it's just so taboo that people prefer not to speak about it. Um, and I think that's one of the biggest holdups, especially when parents are thinking about um, you know, signing that release form to allow their child to come to, even for one of our classes, mm. right? We have these release waivers that go out. Um, and of course, we've preached this, I think, from the mountaintops every time we talk about it on the pod. But, you know, we we do, and I, when I was teaching, I did everything in a very developmentally appropriate way, mm. right? Like we weren't bringing content to kids that they were not ready to hear at the grades or the ages that they were at. Right. Um, but of course, we always let the parents sign off on that. And, you know, there, there would be a handful of times where parents would not let their children come into the class and, you know, not have that lecture and, okay, fine, we respect that. Um, but the interesting thing for me, because I will never forget, like, starting and beginning to do those classes and even me, like, being just very new to the field, very new to all of that work and doing prevention, walking into a class and thinking, like, yeah, I mean, this is all, it's again, written developmentally appropriate, but I just hope like these kids can handle it. And I'll never forget my first class. The kids took in that information, I think, better than any group of adults (laughs) that I had provided a training for. Honestly, you know, like, and they had 
questions. And it was just very kind of like matter of fact. And, you know, it was like, they were just able to take that and process it and have, you know, whatever little aha moments and just receive that information. And the other side of that, the really heartbreaking side was after a few classes, you know, getting some disclosures from kids that honestly had no idea that what was going on at home was not okay. And it really, really spoke volumes to me doing that work of, my God, this is so important because yeah. now that child does not have to just go day to day and think that they deserve yeah. this or they're doing something wrong and in inviting this on themselves, right? And now, mm -hmm. you know, that process, whatever that process individually looked like, whether it was CPS or whether it was, you know, resources and support, I mean, they can then just start to access those things and, and have outside support. So absolutely. I mean, we are prevention <laughs> minded people here. So yes, just kudos to everything about that conversation. Yeah. Well, I think kids, they're just sponges, you know, you hear it all the time. They're sponges mm -hmm. and they, they are. And I think because they're not judgmental, you know, they just, they just want right. to talk. They just, they just want that information. They're feeding off of it. And, you know, yeah. so I, even more reason, you know, to really inundate the system, <laughs> you know, I mean, why not? They need it. So as we're talking about the younger generation, Bonnie, I'm curious if you could go back and talk to your teen self. So before your big you know, life shifting moment or experience that you told us about, if you could reach yourself before that age, maybe a few years before that, what would you say about abuse prevention to young body? I would have told her to use her voice to speak up, mm -hmm. to not be afraid that it's okay that it's, it's really okay. And you didn't deserve it. That's, that's what I would say. I think if I only said one thing, it would be speak up, you know, even in my own experience, if I would have been brave enough, you know, if I, if I wasn't scared of how it would affect my family or affect my, you know, my school life, cause it's so important to us and, you know, my friends, but yeah, I've, I've, ref, you know, reflected at times and been able to see and had those emotions of, you know, if, if I would have spoke up, if I would have said something, um, you know, this could have been prevented or that could have been prevented. And I think a lot of, a lot of people have those emotions. I think that's, that's the biggest message that anyone, any victim of abuse needs to hear, you know, because again, it's, it's so taboo to speak on it. And, because there's this, there's this thing that, you know, I feel it's something that if you've been through it, which many of us have, uh, you know, you understand it, but it's that, that feeling of, um, almost being even more, uh, tr you know, traumatized or experiencing more abuse just because you said something because you have, you have the abuse itself and then you have, the aftermath reaction and you know that's a scary that's a scary thing is um you know so i think if we could just tell all of them speak up and don't be afraid 
you know, and, and almost, you know, cheerleader for them. And, and I was, that's what I was thinking. I just kind of mentally pictured us, you know, just cheering, like, you know, like it's, don't be afraid. <laughs> it's not something to be ashamed of. It's something that, you know, you can get more support. You can meet people and you don't realize how many people that we walk past on a daily basis that we could totally relate to and connect and have a conversation with. So the taboo of, you know, being afraid to talk, I just, can we just take that, take that off the board, you know? Yeah. It's like you said that, that violence thrives in silence. Yes. Right. And it plays into all the reasons why someone doesn't leave. We don't think we have the strength to, we don't think we have the resources to, Mm -hmm. we don't think there is an actual way to leave. We don't feel like we can speak up about it. We don't feel like anyone's going to believe us. You know, there's so many factors that that play into that. You know, even until my adulthood, I mean, I was, that's what you just spoke of or our emotions that I felt you know, just four years ago or so, you know, um, that there wasn't, you know, because you're in that situation itself and you're, you're trying to figure out ways to go find resources and, you know, it's, um, it's (laughs) challenging (laughs) to say the least. Yeah. Uh, but I, I have to say like, I got the chills of you just saying that first time, like just speak up, use your voice. I feel like it, it echoed through me. I mean, cause I think, mm-hmm. you know, it was almost like I was letting my younger self hear that at the same time you're yes, saying that. And I that's think exactly what happened. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, there's just so many, I mean, again, we know men and young men yes. are absolutely victims of abuse as well, but I feel like there's so many young people, especially young women that uh, just such beautiful change could happen if they really embodied that younger and younger, because especially the culture we're in. And, you know, I feel like a lot of women are oftentimes afraid to use their voice, no matter what Mm -hmm. context it's in, no matter what environment it's in. It's just, you know, we're, a a lot of us are taught just to kind of keep quiet, right? Keep complacent and don't make a big fuss and don't stand out in all these different ways. And of course, you know, it's 2023 now and the world's changed a lot. It's still there. Yeah, it's still it, there. That that is still there. Absolutely. Yeah. So I feel like yeah, just a lot of young people. If there's young people listening right now, absolutely. Remember that. Take heed that advice. You know, and if you're someone out there that has young people in their lives, again, doesn't matter, boys and girls, regardless. Reiterate that to them. You know, the importance of using their voice because that's such a powerful thing that we all have. And I think oftentimes, yeah, in times we feel powerless and we forget we forget that inner voice Mm -hmm. I think I think finding finding that um you know teaching them teaching earlier on or you know at at any age you know school age or um just in general I mean you know if we're able to reaching them younger then hopefully that can change the trajectory of all future relationships you know, whether it be work, school, uh, personal, family, you know, it's going to, in a perfect world, hypothetically speaking, you know, if we, if we get them while they're young and they understand and they recognize the signs, they know when to walk away as they get older, you know, and they're not going to have these traumas. We're going to have happier, healthier children who are 
going to be happier, healthier, more productive adults. You know, it's just like I was saying how they're, Mm -hmm. when you experience it as a child, generally you're focused on other things, not school. You know, it's it's that same kind of concept. So, I mean, there's, you know, it's a a big vision, but I I really believe that, you know, it has to, we have to start with the little guys, (laughs) start with the little guys Mm -hmm. and, you know, as they grow. And I think it's something that as they, as they get older too, that the, the subject matter should change. It's not something that should stop being talked about just because we talked to them in third grade. Well, now Brittany's Mm -hmm. 16 and she's in high school, (laughs) you know, or, you know, Josh, different things Josh just turned 13, you know, and whatever. Uh, But, you know, so I think the different dynamics that are age appropriate, as you were saying, you know, for, you know, um, when they're 15, 16, and they're going to start driving and working, okay, now we're going into a workplace, you know, so I just think it's just, we could just teach everybody, you know, and hopefully it's a trickle effect throughout life. So that's how we yes. save the world. I think we just crack uh, the code. Yes, I knew it. <laughs> it was I that easy it. this yes. whole time. Yeah. Yes, I knew it. I knew it. Get them while they're young. <laughs> yeah. And I think it honestly becomes so much easier for someone that has that information to then, you know, if they're in a circumstance it's easier to reinforce those boundaries and it's easier to use your voice. Mm-hmm. It's like the more just information and support and just that reiteration of that message, right? It becomes a lot more, I want to say like mm-hmm. natural, it feels more natural to be able to utilize yeah. those tools, right? And so absolutely. And, you know, me and Bray joked about a lot trying to work ourselves out of a job. <laughs> like we educate so well that domestic violence and sexual assault organizations just don't <laughs> exist anymore. Like that's our hope. Not like we don't want a job. So yeah, when you but. have a spot, when, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, it's, you know, it, I, I think it's just going to be, um, you know, what, what you guys are doing too was just, I just have to say that too. It's just, you know, really amazing. And again, just thanks for having me here. Just said, to throw that in there in the middle really quick but um i'm loving i i'm really enjoying um you know talking about these topics and how we're going to save the world so yes i like it and right back at you bonnie again i'm going to say it a million more times throughout the whole episode but right back at you um so i'm actually just you know very excited to hear your two cents on this next question because i feel like you're going to have a lot of really amazing insight for this But our next question for you is, what ways can professionals in the field of abuse prevention improve any methods of outreach and messages to more effectively reach those who really need to hear the message? Thinking about this question, I really, what comes to mind um, and what I believe is we have to go to them. Mm. Again, you know, from personal experience and others, I didn't know about these things, you know, and, and like I said before, we expect that everybody's checking Google, but they're not. So I think it's essential right. that we go to, you know, uh, go to these areas that have high rates. Um, you know, we have to basically like inundate them instead of saying, um, you know, hey, we're over here if you need us. It's get in there right. and say, look, we're here. 
in whatever, whatever manner that ends up being, I think that's the, the best way. And, and, you know, there's so many ways to go about doing that. So I think, like I said, Mm -hmm. just really, um, going to the people, to the areas, to the schools, you know, um, and really in the neighborhoods, in the communities and stuff like that. And that's the way that you're really going to reach people because it's such a sensitive subject to discuss. You know, a lot of people aren't comfortable talking to strangers, you know, per se, you know, to go make a report to an officer for such a, it's, it feels very insensitive and very just, you know, detached, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, so getting in the community and letting them see your face, letting them know, Hey, I, I am a human too. And I understand you. That's how, that's how you connect with people. You know, you, you let them see that you're human too. Um, and I think that's, what's needed here. It's a very emotional, you know, we can give them all the education, the background, but for them to come to us, I think we have to reach them on that level, um, so that they trust. I have a follow-up question as far as this question and how it relates to your story, specifically being incarcerated, you said that you identified that the other women had also experienced abuse. Is that something that they had self-identified or it was something that you recognized in what they were saying, but maybe they hadn't even realized themselves. They hadn't received that education that it wasn't normal. It wasn't okay. They weren't supposed to be there. It was a combination. Um, so okay. some would say, I'll give you an example. Um, a young lady, early 20s, was um, she was looking at 17 years. Um, but the reason that she was currently there was because she had gone out and offended with her boyfriend. Um, and she was totally, you know, she didn't see anything wrong with it. You know, she was like, it's okay. I'll, you know, even if I get all of these charges, I'll be out 17 years and I can, you know, I can stop kids, you know, and, and (laughs) I, saying these types of things I know are, you know, for some people, they, it's real. It's real. This is the real mindset of, of some women, you know, so one who recognizes it, you know, not, I don't believe to the full extent. I mean, she, she understands, I believe that it was not okay and unhealthy because of the, when you say, oh, well, it's okay, I'll get out. You know, she understands that something is wrong. However, I feel that she is someone who, if she had the education on how to get out of, would have been helped. Mm. You know, others, um, others just told me about situations and, um, you know, that they were in there and then their, you know, partner was in the mills, you know, side and, and stuff like that. So it was a combination um, but I, I think through teaching them when they're younger, it also teaches self-worth, which also teaches empowerment. So mm-hmm. had someone using her as an example, again, had she had some type of education, had some, you know, knowing, knowing that she is worthy of more worthy than experiencing any type of abuse ever, I think it could have totally changed the trajectory, you know, of, of her being there. And a lot of the time, too, I feel like, you know, I like the phrase, you don't know what you don't know. There's so many people out there that we don't know the circumstances. If they were brought up in households Mm -hmm. with abuse, child abuse or domestic violence that they were a witness to, um, you know, even having older siblings and maybe they are in unhealthy, abusive, rocky relationships. It's 
if that's what you see, mm-hmm. that is what you know. And so that that early intervention right. prevention is so critical for that. Because again, if that's what you think is normal, if that's what you expect, yeah, yeah how would it register, right? Like it's, you're not going to see another side of it because you were never shown another side of it or another alternative and, you know, had yeah. a platform to have that kind of a discussion and that kind of an education. It's so important. Similar to the child that, you know, that you uh, referenced earlier, you know, he didn't, he didn't know. Yeah. Um, uh, so out of, as, as far as women, um, just to drop a little uh, fact, 96% of women who are incarcerated have experienced some type of abuse, you know, whether intimate or childhood trauma. Wow. Um, Wow. You know, that's 20,000 calls per minute to the uh, National Domestic Violence Hotline. 20,000 per minute. And we have 172,000 women incarcerated in the United States. So how many of them? (laughs) It's so huge. It's so huge. It's so huge. Yeah. Just chills again. Like, it's just everywhere. Yeah. Astronomical figures to think about yeah. with both of those yeah. and I'm like okay we'll start with the schools <laughs> yeah and then go to the I know I know and then well here so it's actually so overall for men and women 47 percent is the rate who've experienced abuse 47 percent of wow. the inmate population and I know I touch a lot on, on inmate and stuff like that but that has you know a significant um because I make correlation um but yeah yeah, I think it's a unique perspective that you have because I think it would be so easy for someone to go through that experience and just accept it and say, you know what, I guess I'm a criminal now. I guess I might just as well keep on down this path. And we don't okay. hear as many of those stories of while you're there having that realization of, yeah. no, what can I do better? There has to be more. There has to be yeah. something better. So I think... I mean, to the extent that you're comfortable talking about it, but I think so many people need to hear about it because absolutely, if that's a path that they might unfortunately find themselves on, they could have that mindset mm-hmm. mindset shift rather than just accepting that as, well, that's the new reality, I guess. I think that's so important. Yeah. Um, it's, it's definitely, uh, definitely been a unique learning you know, a learning experience. I'll just say too, I I am so happy just kind of talking about all that and putting that into a bigger perspective that we, and unfortunately, I'm not sure if if this is still a program that is done through Live Violence Free. I know it was just due to funding why it was cut while I was there. Um, But I am so happy thinking back to educating on prevention in the juvenile correction facility there in Tahoe. That was my favorite class um, uh, of all. And the transformation, the, what I'll call the aha moments, mm-hmm. the, the turnaround that I was able to see in the six to eight weeks that I was there educating, um, was something that I had not seen in any other educational space. And I'm just thinking back to, again, just kind of coupling all of this conversation we've had into that. I'm like, thank God 
that was a thing. Um, mm-hmm. And again, I'm not sure if that's still something done. I know budget cuts and certain mm-hmm. um, grants and things that fell through. And it was just, you know, nothing that we wanted to let go of or stop doing. It was just one of those unfortunate little things that can happen with nonprofits. But yeah, I'm just uh, I'm thinking about how greatly needed that is in, mm-hmm. in adult jails and prisons as well like that i'm just thinking like i just want to go out and do it yeah (laughs) yeah it's everywhere it's i exactly that's how we're saving the world (laughs) i think that that there's information that can be taught and given and you know support and you know through each stage you know in different areas because it's something Mm -hmm. that so many people experience i mean you can go everywhere and you can go to schools, you can go to prisons, you could go to juvenile halls, you could go to the library, you know, mm-hmm. you could go to community, you can go anywhere and, and teach us. And it's just going to be so, I mean, for all of the obvious and unobvious reasons, I mean, you know, so that's, I think the juvenile hall too is definitely, you know, at each point there's a, there's a way to, especially with the juvenile halls. Um, growing up, my mother worked for basically the juvenile halls for 14 years. Um, so hearing stories and understanding what that was like and stuff, I mean, there's another point where we have the chance to save them, you know, save them from any more abuse, which most likely, you know, I don't, <laughs> not knowing the statistics, but generalizing most um, behavioral issues are coming from something that is associated with a type of abuse. You know, um, there's other outstanding circumstances, but generally it's, you know, I mean, it, they're experiencing something, you know, and so I think that's just another, another chance to <laughs> get in there and change. Yeah. Yeah. Never too young, no. and never too old either. So with all of your experiences, I know that you've turned that into helping others. It's obviously something that you have the passion for that you're great at. And I know that you have, do we call it an organization? I know it's called SHE, S-H-E-E. So tell us about it. So it's more of a personal philosophy behind what I do, not an organization. Um, You know, I have my hopes, visions, dreams, you know, for everything. Um, but for me, it's my little personal philosophy um, to offer support, to give hope, to empower, and to educate. That is what she stands for. Um, I think those are all of the things that each one of us in our experiences, whether in it, recovering, healed, still healing, whatever it may be, those are all the things that we need. Those, that, those are things that everyone needs throughout life for almost anything, you know? So that's, that's my personal philosophy is that support, hope, empowerment, and education. I can't love that <laughs> enough, you know? <laughs> like you know, I was, I was sitting down one day and I was, you know, getting, getting into my work and stuff like that. And I was just like, you know, what is it? What did I need? You know, what, what did I need? Who did I need? How did I need, you know, all these different things. And that's what it was. And it just became she. 
I love it. I live by it. <laughs> and, you know, I just, I hoped everybody is just, just like you guys are sharing and just, I mean, through what you're doing, you're giving support, you're giving hope and you're empowering these children and, you know, families and people you meet on the street. You're empowering me by allowing me to speak. You know, you're giving me a voice. Thank you. You know, so I just hope to, to be able to embody that and do that for others. I just have to say it makes me so proud to just get that kudos from you and someone like yourself that has been doing so much in such like a grassroots, incredibly passionate (laughs) effort to support other people. Um, So I just hope we can continue to live up to your standards of she and continue that. You guys are amazing. I feel like that about you guys, you know, (laughs) I think, and I think that's, It's just so amazing to just be sitting here, you know, um, with you guys, two amazing women. You know what I mean? Like I, what I look at you guys and I'm like, oh my gosh, I if I could only do, you know. You are doing it. You are saving lives. Yeah, Yeah. right now. There's just so many ways that we can do this, and again, I'm just grateful to to uh, be able to share my voice with you guys and and all of the listeners. Yeah, and we're all. I think much better for it and having you here today. Yes. So again, we cannot extend our thank yous enough, but I think that's actually a perfect time right now to lead into our little self-care piece for the day and do our meditation. And it's funny because I was just going to lead a very simple breath exercise today, but now I'm feeling incredibly inspired by the SHE acronym so I'm going to just sprinkle in a little bit of that Ooh, and healing and <laughs> empowerment in there. So let's do this. So my lovely guests, my lovely co-host, all of the amazing listeners out there, if you're available to take on this meditation at this time, I just encourage you to get into a comfortable position, whatever that looks like for you. And you don't need to change anything right now, but just start to kind of settle in and just notice your body. Do you have any tension? Are you holding stress, whether in your mind or in your body? We're going to switch and you're going to start taking nice meditative breath into your nose hand out through your mouth, deep breath in, and a big breath out, just find a rhythm with that meditative breath, I encourage you to start to make your inhales almost the same length as your exhales. Just find a pattern here that your body can really just sink into. If any distractions come up during this time, that's fine. Let any thoughts or sounds just kind of pass right by you. Just return your focus on breathing in and breathing out.
Now that you're deep into this breathing rhythm, I want you to start by just thinking about someone who supports you. Maybe it's yourself or someone you love or care about. As you take these deep breaths in, I want you to just fill yourself with that support. these next few breaths, I now want you to think about something that you are healing within yourself or something that you have healed. With your breath in, I want you to fill yourself with a sense of pride for working on whatever healing journey that was. Acknowledge yourself for all the work you've done or all the work you're doing. With these next few breaths, I now want you to think about something that makes you feel empowered. It could be a word. It could be something you've done. Something that someone else has done for you. Whatever it is, just take a few moments and a few breaths to really fill yourself with this empowerment. On your next inhale, I want you to take a big breath in, fill your lungs, and let out a big breath out. We'll do that again. Take another big breath in, fill your lungs, and hold for two seconds, and a big breath out. Give yourself one moment here to just thank yourself for taking this time and doing this breath work, giving yourself this little moment of self-care. And you can now go back to your normal breathing. If you closed your eyes, gently open them. Do whatever you need to, to kind of get your body back online. (laughs) And I hope everybody 
enjoyed that little moment inspired by Bonnie, that little moment of self-care. That was amazing. Thank you. You are so welcome. Bonnie, we just really want to thank you so much for your vulnerability and sharing your insight today. I think there's so many points that I really hope everybody listens to this and just really takes it to heart. And Mm -hmm. we need help doing this work. Like, Go do it in your communities. Be that support person to a friend. It will take all of us to save the world. I know that we say we're going to start it, but we need help. Um, So I'm just wondering if you... Yes. If you have any last thoughts, any additional wisdom or advice that you would share with our listeners today. What I would leave anyone listening with is don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's challenging and it's a long road at times. At times you can feel very alone, but it's worth it keep trying, don't give up, but most importantly, speak up and use your voice. You have to speak up for, for, for yourself. And if not for yourself, then for the ones that love you. Because if they knew the truth of what you were dealing with and what you were going through, their heart would be broken and they're there for you and you never have to be afraid. Uh, just this whole episode has just been giving me the chills and has just Mm -hmm. been so powerful for us. And I know for the listeners out there, and I think there was like no better words to kind of end on today than that. Um, So Bonnie for like the millionth time and it's all well-deserved. We just want to say we appreciate you so much for being here today, for sharing your story with us, um, our listeners. I think honestly, there's nothing more powerful than hearing someone's story. And I think, that is such a compelling driving force to get people to understand further or to get them feeling compelled to act, right? Is, is hearing that personal connection to somebody else and for you to come here and do that today. We're just so fortunate that you trusted us and the audience. Um, so yeah, just what an amazing conversation. We really hope you will think about coming back in the future because you are an absolute joy to speak Thank with. You. Um, Thank you. I would, lo- I would love to come back. This has been, you know, it's heavy, but it's, it's essential. And, you know, it's, that's what we have to do. We have to be vulnerable. That's what's perpetuated the issues, you know? Um, so we have to be vulnerable and I would anytime, anytime. Yes. I'm like, I'm like, thank goodness to hear that. Um, I know I'm excited. I bet the listeners are also excited to confirm that they will hear from you soon again on the podcast here. But just want to say to all the listeners out there, please check out the resources below for agencies that you can reach out to for any support that you could need. We have listings again for across the US, uh, around the world. So no matter where you're at, you can reach out and someone will be there to support you. We want to thank you so much for listening into this incredible conversation today and honoring Bonnie's story along with us. And we hope you will join us for our next conversation.